my favorite crowd. Y'all sound good this morning. Excited? How about that band? That's right. My name is Evan. I'm the online pastor. Justin is in Honduras doing good, digging a water well. We got a video from them at the end. It is awesome what they're doing. So I get to speak today and I'm excited because I love getting to be a part of what's happening down here. And the online pastor talk to people online. It is so fun. I love it. We're trying to figure out how to do this church thing. If you were watching, if you're somebody that found this message on demand later, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to connect with you because that's what today's all about. It's Super Bowl Sunday and I am trying to figure out how to survive as a millennial parent. Anybody in here with me? There was nobody at the early hour. There's like three millennials in the room, a couple of you there. Most of you watching online. That's why we're doing this, right? So thanks for watching. You're probably home with your kids, figuring it out like me. This is my family, Nora, Eliza, our two daughters, Mallory, my wife. It's a lot of fun, but last week, Justin showed a video you might have remembered at the beginning of the service about dancing with joy. Peep my little daughter, Eliza, in the back. This was her class. She's in the back right corner, and you'll see it when the camera pans over that she climbed up on the steps and jumped and tumbled off the back. This is what my life's like every day. Watch this clip of these kids dancing. A couple weeks ago, we have built-in cabinets in our house and we literally, she pulled a chair and we literally found her up on the built-in cabinet. She had climbed probably eight feet off the air to grab something off the shelf. So please pray for us, please pray for me. It's a lot of fun, it's tough. Anybody in here a parent? Okay, you have you, all right. Anybody never wanna be a parent because of stuff like that? There we go, all right, thanks for being honest. We're glad you're here too. But we today are talking about the Super Bowl. We're talking about life groups. Life groups are kicking back off. They're small groups that meet in homes all across Shreveport, Bossier. There's all kinds of life groups. And the reason we believe in life groups is because we cannot do life alone. The Super Bowl party tonight is a great way for you to meet somebody. We'd love for you to come hang out. Anybody is welcome. How about the halftime show? Anybody excited about this lineup? Yeah, the rest of them are like, I don't know who that is at the early hour, but y'all are excited. I saw me in the back's pumped up. It's gonna be a fun halftime show. Might be a little crazy. I will never forget when I was in middle school, I was upstairs with my youth pastor and Janet Jackson's performing. And that was fun for the youth group to try to talk about that. So you never know what's happened. Show up, you make a story for life. But we want you to come hang out. If you're watching online, you're out of town, Dallas is actually having a party, North Dallas campus. We have a group that meets over there. Wherever you are, we'd love for you to be a part because none of us can do this thing alone. As a millennial, right, this M word gets thrown around a lot. It's pretty different from when some of you grew up in the room. Anybody over the age of 40? Yes, they're like, I don't wanna be too loud. That's right, so you guys kind of right on that edge of the millennial group, the Boomers, some of you boomers in here, all these different generational stuff, but it matters, and the reason we talk about it so much is because it is a different world. So I wanna show you some data, some facts today, because that's just who I am. I'm kind of a stat nerd. I like this kind of stuff. Bear with me. I promise it won't be the whole time, but sometimes people just get up and say stuff, and I wanna know, like, is that really true? Let's fact check this. So here is some of the research this week I found. It's based off of a book I did a project in when I was in college called Bowling Alone. A guy named Dr. Robert Putman worked at Harvard, still there, is a super important figure, goes and worked in the Bush White House and then the Obama White House, trying to get people connected in American society. How do we do this as a country? Because it's shifted. The reason that he wrote this book was because he's a bowler, 
and he went and he was bowling, he realized that there was less people in his bowling leagues in his hometown. I don't know if any of you are in bowling leagues. I actually have friends that are my age that are in a bowling league. It's kind of made a comeback. But there were more people in the year 2000 when he wrote this book bowling than ever, but league membership was down 80%. So this weird contradiction of people are bowling, but they don't want to do it in groups anymore. It led him to do a five-year research project. He wrote this book. And the line that really has stuck with me through the years is that people now today watch friends on TV, but don't really have any friends. They watch friends, but it's not really like it was when some of you watching, some of you online were growing up. Society's change is different. What's pretty crazy too is Dr. Putman worked at Harvard, had a student in his class that did a project for his class that was gonna try to connect people online through a social network. His name was Mark Zuckerberg. And Dr. Putman was one of the very first beta users of Facebook. This book was written in 2000. He's written books since and has talked about how the internet has once again changed everything. But even pre-internet, the world was changing. We feel more alone and isolated than ever. And it's not just a feeling. It's not maybe just an observation. It is fact when you talk to people around the country. 45% of Americans in a study from 2019, again, this is pre-pandemic, 45% of Americans said that they had not made a new friend in five years. Some of you are like, that's shocking. Some of you are like, yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> That's about me. Five years without making a single new friend going through and doing that. 2014, this was how it was in 2019. They don't have new friends. So I want you to think in your head, all right, everybody to yourself, if you're watching online, wherever you're at, how many friends would you say that you have? My wife makes fun of me because I use the term a little more loosely. I think of a friend more as probably an acquaintance but I try to be friendly to everybody. Some of you are like, I have two friends in the world and that's it, everybody else is dead to me, I don't care. The rest of us are probably somewhere in between, right? So the national study, just if you want to feel normal or not, the national study found that most people say they have three best friends, five good friends, people they'd be honest with, eight people they like but don't spend one-on-one time with. So people move, they're not there anymore, you can't hang out, you talk on the phone. 50 acquaintances, some of you are like, I could not name 50 people who know who I am if my life depended on it. Some of you are like, oh yeah, 50, that's just like one week at my house. And then the 91 social media friends, that's a nationwide average Everybody's different on that. The younger you are, the 10 that goes up. But if you think to yourself, okay, I'm kind of in that range. That sounds like me or I'm way off. I have one person in my life that I talk to and it's my cat. Wherever you are on that spectrum, it's okay. We just want to talk about it today because the other thing I found really interesting was three out of 10 Americans said that they are still close friends with somebody from their neighborhood. As a dad, I try to help Nora. Our daughter is six. We have a best friend across the street. Mallory's way better about this. Make sure they go outside, they play. There's a value in that, and I think it's coming back around a little bit more popular because we realize screens and all this different stuff has pros. I'm an online pastor. It's my job. I believe that the internet can supplement and add to relationships in ways that it's never been able to do in human history, but I also really believe that it will never fully take the place of having friends, of truly interacting and being connected. Another organization, Barna, did a study on this. Again, more research. I like this kind of stuff. If you're not, I promise we're almost through it but this was their findings on millennials, specifically my age, about 39 and younger. That goes to the next slide there. The millennials, Americans are friendly, but lonely. One out of five adults regularly or often feels lonely, 20%. So look on your row, there's about five people on your row. Good chances one of those people feel lonely this morning. Actually, if we're honest, the people who feel the most lonely typically withdraw and are probably not here, and there's a benefit to being at church we're gonna talk about, but one out of five, on average, they have five close friends that match that other study, but the most lonely are millennial males who are single and downscale in a lower socioeconomic status. So these are people my age, my friends, guys that I know, 
people that are going through life and trying to figure this out, some of them single, some of them married but still feel alone and don't have friends. It's difficult, it's a different world. And the problem, the reason why this is such a big deal is because the health effects of loneliness are being researched more and more. And the best science that we know of says that being lonely, feeling lonely shortens your life, causes more health problems, and is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day on your long-term health. Think about that. This is a scientific study. This is completely outside the Bible right now. This is just what society overall is trying to understand and figure it out. As a youth pastor for the last 12 years, I've loved this generation coming up. They call them Gen Z. Working with teenagers was always a ton of fun. And the good thing is for us, I think Gen Z is starting to realize and get this. They're really catching on themselves. 53% of Gen Z said that they actually have a meaningful human interaction on a daily basis. So that sounds good, but that means 47% of teenagers and young adults say that they don't interact with any human being on a daily basis. They don't feel that. My brother-in-law got hired at AT&T in the pandemic, interviewed virtually, works from his home in his apartment, never met a single person that he works with until this last year. For a year and a half, he worked remotely and never had human interaction. It's a different world, things are changing. It's crazy. Gen Z, though, recognizes that the screen is not the answer. 60% of them realize and are self-aware enough that they probably shouldn't spend that much time on the screen. Now, they still do, right? Any parent in the room knows we're talking about. But they at least are starting to get that this is not the best way. This is not what they need for full fulfillment. I had lunch with a buddy recently. He's gone through some really hard stuff this year. As we're just making small talk and saying something, I was like, man, it just really look like you've had a lot of people there for you in the Facebook, you had a lot of comments in your posts. And he's like, man, that's all really not true. He's like, none of those people really reached out for me. And in our minds, I think my generation, younger people, maybe some of you older people, we feel like if we say it on Facebook, if we comment, if we send a text, it makes us feel better, but it's really not the same for the person that needs it. So as an online pastor, this is a tension, this is a struggle. I get to do this, we're trying to figure this out because I truly believe that the church is the hope of the world. I believe that I've given my life to this church and ministry is what I feel called to do and I believe that we have answers that a lot of people are looking for and you're in this room, you found this message online, that is a big deal because we're so thankful you're here and we wanna be a place that you connect. We wanna be a place that you feel like you fit in. Another book, Alone Together, Sherry Turkle is an author. She works at MIT. Again, one of the best schools, the smartest minds, not the church, not Christian organizations, but these research scientists are finding that these things have negative effects. Her quote from the book I really like said, we're designing technologies that will give us the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. We get the illusion, we get the fake, we get the almost the, like the artificial feeling of somebody cares about me, somebody knows me without having to actually deal with the people, go to the party, show up at the high school reunion, do these things in person. And it's changing us. Now, I think there's some good in this. I'm not a technophobe. I love technology. I think there's a lot of good. And one cool way I found was this literally right now today, they're trying to give your grandparents robots. Anybody know about this? Right? So elder care there's more elders in the next couple, 10, 15 years, there's gonna be more old people that outnumber the younger generation. They can't keep up. So they're experimenting right now, not sci-fi futuristic times, right now, 
that they want to give a robot to your grandpa or your grandma so they don't feel as lonely. Watch. Is loneliness a big problem amongst your generation? I mean, you know they are because no one ever goes to visit them. You, you know, they, they never see no one, you know. And um, they go down to town about once a week or twice a week do some shopping and that's their life, you know. What about the idea of a robot for a companion? Was that male or female? Bill, you haven't dreamt anything for two hours. Hello, Peppa. Hello. 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 <laughs> oh, dear. We can do this forever. Oh, no, we could. <laughs> the elderly population is growing. It's a real problem. And there's not enough young people to actually support that, that elderly population. So there's this demographic time bomb. <laughs> do you want to dance with me? What dance? Oh, okay. I'll dance alone. No. What the fuck? <laughs> Bill's taking to her, so I think. There's potential if we could get them to talk properly with us, then it could be a great My grandmother's 90, she's in an assisted living home, and I think I'd be okay with her having a robot, right? So there's pros to this, but it's not gonna replace and fix everything. Another one I just thought was really kind of crazy is robot pets. They have robot little seals they're experimenting and trying out where you take care of your pet. My other grandmother on my dad's side actually has a fake cat. I get a dementia patient, and she loves the fake cat, will pet it, take care of it, and this is the next level of that robot going to be there for your grandparents, maybe you, <laughs> one day. So this technology is not inherently bad or evil. I think the problem is we like to be so one way or the other that all technology is bad, we're going to throw away everything and just start over, and then all technology is going to fix everything, we're going to be in virtual reality and all the problems will go away. It's more complicated than that, but at the end of the day, it's about people. I believe that God created us, God loves us, God wants the best for each of us, and his plan was community. His plan was to not do life alone. Barna, another research they did, is heartbreaking to me. When you read this and see and think about the thousands of people they surveyed and the bigger representation of it, events around the world matter to me, 77% of people my age. I feel connected to people around the world, 57%. Good. I often feel deeply cared for by those around me. 33% of people said that they feel like somebody cares about them. I often feel someone believes in me, 32%. I feel optimistic about the future, less than half, 40%. I feel able to accomplish my goals. 34% of people are struggling, are trying to figure it out and don't really feel like anybody care. This is a burden, this is heavy to me and this is why I've given my life to working in the church. This is why I'm so glad I get to talk today and be here with you because we, the church, God's people have the answer to this. These numbers and statistics only matter because it helps us to understand better what people are going through around us. I'm busy, I can get caught up in my own world, I can get self-absorbed, I know how easy it is. But when I take the time, when I research, when I think about this, when I talk to people around me and hear the stories of people in church, it reminds me that 100 years from now, the only thing that will have mattered is somebody's relationship with God. We'll all be gone. There's almost nobody in this room statistically that'll be here 100 years from now. 
but the legacy and the impact of what you leave behind in your kids and grandkids and great grandkids will be. I'm so thankful for my parents forcing me to go to church when I didn't want to. I was a little turd. I'm just gonna call it as it is. I can reflect on that now. I have enough self-awareness that as a middle school student, elementary school student, I didn't wanna go. You still had to wear pants because you had to wear your best for God. That was a big hangup for me. I didn't wanna wear the khaki pants. Thank God, simple church, we don't do that, that's right. But it's a big deal that I didn't wanna be there. I felt uncomfortable. My mom still kept making me go. My dad would just kind of tag along with her. She was the one mostly yelling at me to go. But I'm so glad because in seventh grade, they sent me to church camp. I brought two friends with me and my life was changed. And then in high school, I started serving. I started getting involved because I wanted to do media stuff. My youth pastor let me start filming announcements and doing videos. My middle school pastor had been there and helped me go to camp. We're both officiants at my wedding. You might recognize two of these guys. Justin was my middle school pastor. Chip was my high school pastor, still works here today. Mallory, my wife, I met in youth group. Another plug for high school students to go upstairs, check out youth group. I am so thankful for this time, but it almost didn't happen. My mom could have given up. We could have been tired. We could have done other things. There's a lot of other choices. I joined a care group. It was like life groups, what we call them now, a small group Bible study for guys when I was in high school. And my small group leader, Bobby, was my best man at my wedding was a huge influence in my life, somebody that was so impactful in me. And I wouldn't be who I am today without Bobby, without Justin and Chip. These guys that I did life with when I was in high school, we went to Juarez, did mission trips, we went and did fun stuff, we would go hang out. Some of these guys still around, Colton right here, was in my wedding, was one of my best friends, a couple years younger than me, and then I got to do his wedding. And years later, we're still in touch, we still talk, we're raising kids together, trying to figure it out. Played in fantasy football league. I don't see him as much as I'd like to, but that's just life, right? But over and over again in my life, I'm so thankful. But I know what you're thinking, right? Yeah, big deal. It's too late for me. I'm already done. Or that's great, Evan. You got all these friends. Woohoo, look at you. But it's never too late. As a youth pastor for 12 years here, I got to go and spend a lot of time with teenagers, sometimes more than I wanted to, amen? It's something that was so fun and rewarding and sometimes frustrating and sometimes discouraging. But I think that Gen Z, you hear the negative stuff and a lot of times we just focus on the negative. And I just wanna brag on a couple students that I thought of. The hard thing was cutting down. I had to go through old pictures and find them. One of the best things about being a middle school pastor was I have a lot of embarrassing pictures of a lot of people now. They've come a long way, like this guy, Alex Blackburn. He's actually my neighbor, grew up in student ministry, made me almost wanna quit middle school ministry a couple times. Alex has a mullet now. I can't say that he's completely figured it out. But what I will say is Alex started working for Blake, interning, helping with middle school ministry, and now drives back from ETBU most weekends to invest and be there for more middle school kids like he was. Hannah Grace Birch is a babysitter for my girls. She was in student ministry, her older siblings. Her dad and mom would lead a life group for us. Hannah Grace is awesome. She's at Benton High School on fire for the Lord, trying to help. Zach Newman is gonna go in the military, was my intern, worked for me this summer, is a great guy. Michael Smith, I'm sorry, Mike, the only picture I could find of us was with your eyes closed. But I wanna brag on Michael because he's a high schooler that serves every week in kids' ministry and is a phenomenal leader for other kids. He chooses to get up early, comes to church to help these kids that are a little bit younger than him. And Danny Brimmer, another guy that went through high school ministry, graduated, he invited me to come to his signing when he was on a run track at Bipsy a couple years ago. 
and has been a middle school leader and helps set up, gets here 7.30 in the morning. There are tons of examples, but I get that because I got to spend time with these teenagers. I've got to see over and over again the good ones. There are some bad ones. (laughs) There are some that definitely I would not brag on or still working it out, but that's all of us, right? So beyond just seeing the next generation, I've also met some of my best friends through serving. John Rennie was another guy who was at my wedding, was a groomsman, who was one of my first student ministry volunteers that I could count on and was willing to help and to make life so much better doing it with him. We'd cry together about students, we'd be frustrated, we'd be discouraged, and then we'd be on the highs. And I'm so thankful for every volunteer who'd worked and helped to do that for teenagers, for children. Now my kids are in children's ministry and preschool ministry. People like Miss Sandra Posey and her husband, Daryl. All of these leaders are investing now in the kids that I want because I need it for my kids just like somebody did it for me. But that's enough about me, all right? So let's move back. We're gonna go back to college for a minute. Some of you maybe never. Psychology 101, there's this thing called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Anybody heard of this? Are we familiar? Three of you, good. All right, here we go. So that's good. We're gonna go through this real fast. The idea is this. You have a basic group of needs and you cannot go and move up the pyramid until those needs are met. So physical needs, food, water, rest. Everybody gets that. It's pretty self-explanatory. Then safety needs, security, safety. So if you don't have these two base things, it's hard to move up. So something like Walking Dead, right, in a post-apocalyptic world, these things go out the window, so you're not gonna be friends. You're gonna try to, like, murder people and take over the world. Everybody gets that? That's why this needs roughly. But belonging and love needs, intimate friendships and relationships, and then esteem needs, prestige and feeling of accomplishment. This idea is that you move up this, but you can't really get to where you wanna be without these other people in the process. This guy named Abraham Maslow I actually didn't know a lot about. I got to read about this week and another quote he had I really liked sums it up for me pretty well because here's what I believe as a Christian is that God created that system. God created our psychological system, our needs and wants because an intelligent designer knew it was what's best for us. This guy, Abraham Maslow, wrote this, talked about it. One could choose to go back towards safety or forward towards growth, but growth must be chosen again and again Fear must be overcome again and again. Why does he say that? Because it's scary. I have had adult people scared to go talk to middle school kids. I'm like, why are you scared of them? They're more scared of you, I promise. But we get insecure. We get, what if people don't like me? What if I, don't, what if I put myself out there again? Or you know what happened to me? I bring this baggage and hurt from past relationships and friendships and time that people let you down and people are gonna let you down. That's part of the gig but it's worth it to keep moving forward to find what you're really looking for. Genesis 2.18, the Bible finally got to that, right? I know there's a lot of good stuff in there about this because I believe that the science, what people are saying, they're learning and discovering what God already told us. This is why it's important to know the Bible. This is why it's important to understand who we are, who God made us to be, because we have the answers. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. That's at the very beginning. That's at the very critical start. From then, God over and over again through his word has reminded us, Ecclesiastes 4, 9. Two people are better off than one for they cannot help each other, or they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer, but three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. 
I remember hearing this verse when I was in middle school and high school. It's so true. It's true then, it's true now. We can't do life alone. I heard a comedian say one time that one of Jesus' greatest miracles was that he had 12 close guy friends. That's pretty good when you think about it. But Jesus cared about this too. It wasn't just the Old Testament. This is a big deal because Jesus knew we needed other people. John 17, my prayer for all of them, which would be us, is that they will be one heart, one mind, so the world will believe that you sent me. I and them and you and me all being perfected into one. Then the world will know that you sent me and will understand that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus is talking to us that we would be known by our love, not by how many times we went to church, not by how many times we prayed, not by how much money we gave. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Is that you would love others as we love ourselves. And we say that, we put it on t-shirts, we talk about it a lot, but it's really hard to do. It's really hard to not be selfish. John 13, 35, by your love for one another, people will know that you are my followers. As we walk out of the doors today, as you go to lunch at the restaurant, will the waitress know that you're a follower of Christ based on how you're acting? Will the person in traffic know (laughs) that you're a follower of Christ? We are the people representing God to a lost and hurting world And the sad reality is the big church overall, the universal church, the worldwide church, a lot of the reasons people don't like Christians is because of us and how we've acted. You won't be known by your love for God. You won't be known by these things you do, but you'll be known by your love for one another. Ephesians 2.19 says it this way. It's the message. It's a paraphrase. says it in a way that's easier to understand. You're no longer wandering exiles. This is a church in Ephesus. These are people that were literally sacrificing and worshiping pagan gods that wanted to start following Jesus, that wanted to follow the way. Paul is writing this letter to encourage them and says that you're not an exile anymore. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders, but you belong here with as much right to the names Christian as anyone. I don't know about the church you grew up in, the environments you grew up in, but it seems like there's kind of tiers, right? There's the real Christians, and then there's the people that come that we kind of talk about, and then there's the people that shouldn't be here. Can you believe they're here? And at Simple Church, I'm so thankful and so appreciative that that is our heart to not be that way. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation, and now he's using you. He's using me, filling you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. Jesus' plan for the church of how we're gonna do this thing, how we're gonna live life is you. You watching at home right now, sitting on your couch, me, my kids, your family, not just a bunch of professional Christian church people, but we all have a part to play in building the church. The the plan for us, for all of us, is to take care of each other. And we do take care of some people, right? You might say you have that five group, tight-knit group of friends, you have that five close friends, you have those eight people that you talk to regularly, maybe it's that 50 acquaintances even, which is a lot. It's hard 
to be focused on other people because we want to be inwardly focused. We turn towards ourselves. And as a parent, we're trying to figure this out too. If there's parents in the room or grandparents, we printed a quote that I love that just reminds me of what's the most important thing in this role that I have right now as a dad. Your greatest, let's see right here, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone that you raise. I'm so thankful my parents didn't give up on me. Parents, we want your kids to be in kids ministry and middle school ministry and high school ministry, not because we need our numbers up, not because we need to just feel good about ourselves, but because Christy and Jonah and Blake are doing a great job creating an environment for your kids to come to meet other students to try to follow God with their lives. And I know they might not wanna go. I know it might seem scary or they're weirded out by going up there, but it matters And I want their story to be that they looked back and found a place that they fit in, not that they fell out of church and left because nobody acted like they cared about them. So if you're a parent, we'd love for you to do that. If you're not a parent, it doesn't apply to you, that's fine. We want you to be a part of it too. It's not just for parents. The Super Bowl party tonight is a chance for you to go and to move and take a step. We want you to know what's coming up. We want you to be connected. If we go to the next slide. This is my friend, Addie. Addie's our neighbor. As a parent, I get to be there and it's trying to encourage those friendships. We talked about the three out of 10 are your neighborhood friends. This is what we're trying to do as parents, but for the rest of us that aren't parents right now, you're young, you're older, you're grandparent, whoever you are, it doesn't mean you're off the hook to care about this generation. Dr. Putnam that wrote that book, Bowling Alone, he did this interview. It's an hour interview. It's actually really insightful. I really liked it. Most of you probably be bored, but if you wanna watch it on YouTube, it's on YouTube. So I pulled the part that really stood out to me. This is Harvard. This is the best and brightest minds. These are the people that are trying to figure out what to do about the country. And I don't know his religious faith. I don't know what he believes. But what he says here just hit me that this is someone outside the church looking in. What is our responsibility in taking care of other people? Watch. Fundamentally, they involve, the technical term is mentoring, but that means having a stable adult in the lives of these poor kids. The one single fact that you can carry away from any of the stories in our book, because it's not just data, it's stories. The data there too, but the stories, is that poor kids in America are alone. They're just really isolated. They can't trust their families because their families are are breaking up. They can't can't trust their teachers because they're going to very poor schools. They can't trust their churches because they're no longer at church. They can't trust their communities because they don't, their communities have fallen apart. They can't trust their coaches because they're not in sports. They lack any caring adult. I know that sounds like I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. They lack this kind of support that you would give to your, gave to your children and grandchildren, that I give to my children and grandchildren. They don't have that in their lives. I start with the premise, all kids do dumb things. Rich kids, poor kids, black kids, white kids, brown kids, your kids, my kids. Kids get involved in, you know, they get involved in drinking or they, God forbid, they get involved in drugs or they make a dumb romantic decision or they get in a fight with a teacher or God knows what. When one of our kids, that is the upper class kids, does a dumb thing, instantly airbags inflate to protect the kid from the consequences of the bad decision. So if one of my grandchildren, God forbid, should get involved with drugs, the first thing I do is find the best lawyer in town and the second thing is I find the best um, rehab facility in town. If a poor kid of any race does exactly the same dumb thing, 
no airbags because they don't have the same density of caring adults in their lives. I don't mean that they're, often their parents, often it's a single mom and often she's doing everything she can to try to hold her family together and earn a living and so on. So I'm not trying to demonize the mothers of poor kids. I am sometimes trying to demonize the dads of, of, of poor kids. But, but the fact of the matter is these kids, in a way that poor kids in America in the 1950s were not bereft of social support. That's, this is, the, this is what a, the, the feel of what it's like to live in a bowling alone society if you're at the, bottom of the, at the bottom of the heap. So if I had a magic wand, I'd give every one of these poor kids a caring adult who could be, provide airbags. Does that make sense? I mean, what yeah, I'm, ta I'm talking in a million different ways. Yeah, yeah. Could provide guidance to the kids, could do what I would do for my kids or grandchildren, what you would do for your kids or grandchildren. It's not like this is rocket science. It's just there's nobody in their families who do that. Churches historically played in very, churches and synagogues and religious communities played a very important role in that historically. I've written a whole book, which we haven't talked about, about that role of religion in American society. But the churches, whether it's the church's fault or not is a different question, have gotten disconnected from the working class. And that, there's another one of these graphs just like that. And therefore, if it were in my power, I would say to every clergyman in America, think about not the kids who are already in Sunday school, but the kids in your community who need that kind of caring. I see a room full of caring adults. I see a lot of faces that there's somebody that could use you in their life. I'm not qualified. I'm not, I don't even like kids. That's fine. Well, let God work on your heart. Maybe it's not kids, but what are you doing for somebody else? I don't even know what to do. First thing, go by the lobby today. Sign up and volunteer. We would love to help you. Make it as easy as possible for you to start helping preschool, children's, middle school. I know, right? Some of you are like, never middle school, but high school. Spend an hour a week be in that airbag for a kid that you probably have no idea what they're going through. Like, I don't want to work with teenagers. That's fine. How about CASA? We've partnered with CASA before. Ann Allred, somebody I know, is one of dozens of CASA volunteers that advocate for kids going through court. This week on their Backstage with the Simple Church podcast, we do a podcast every week. We talk to Steve Lindsay and his wife that run a business to do prosthetics that help the Haitian soccer team. It's a great interview about somebody that has a business being an airbag for Haitian people they'd never met that couldn't walk. Maybe it's working with Common Ground, somebody I love, an organization that I think is trying to do this. We all hear the negative news about Shreveport, all the problems in Shreveport, but Common Ground is day in, day out doing classes, basketball leagues, working, food pantry. We passed out food with them during the pandemic when people needed food. They are in the neighborhood locally doing good. That's just the three I thought off the top of my head. If you want to, we will find a way to get you plugged in. Because how do I make friends? How do we fight this loneliness? Why don't you start doing something for somebody else first? You're like, well, I don't know if anybody likes me. I don't know if they want me. Some of my best friends of people were there working, serving together. What can you do about loneliness? It takes a step. I think about the people serving in Simple Church. I got to know over the years. Juan Eres Mendez is our volunteer of the month. We recognize a volunteer every month. He posts selfies and pictures with his greeting crew that he greets with every Sunday. It's just welcome and saying hi. A lot of you probably saw Juan as he walked in. 
but Juan found friends, people he didn't know by serving. You're not too old. I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, ah, well, that's for, that's for the younger people. It's not me. I see some older faces in this room. I think every person over the age of 55 should be required to watch the movie Up. Has anybody seen Up? There you go. Carl Fredrickson, this journey that moves him. It's a kid's movie, but watch it with a grandkid. Watch it with your kids. Watch it by yourselves tonight. And tell me that you aren't moved to think about what you're doing with your life. Here's just a little snippet. We don't want any of you old people to be like this. Watch. Order now. You get the camera. You get the printer. 4X optical zoom. Snyder lens. Photo printer. SD card. Good afternoon. My name is Russell, and I am a wilderness explorer in Tribe 54. Sweat Lodge 12, are you in need of any assistance today, sir? No. I could help you cross the street. No. I could help you cross your yard. No. I could help you cross your porch. No. Well, I gotta help you cross something. Uh, no, I'm doing fine. Good afternoon. My name is uh, Russell, and I am a wilderness explorer in Tribe 54. Slow down. Wet Lodge 12. Kid! Are you in need of Thank any Thank you, but I don't need any help. Ow. I am going to spoil the almost 20-year-old movie, so spoiler alert, sorry if this ruins it for you, but you find out that Russell is trying to get his badge because his dad left. And his dad will show up for his Wilderness Explorer badge. And he goes through this movie, this silly adventure that's nonsensical and crazy and all kinds of twists and turns. But at the heart of it, it's about an older generation. He lost his wife, he's widowed, that goes and spends time and invests in this kid that needs somebody so badly to be a dad figure for him. And over and over in student ministry, I saw so much fatherlessness. And there's so many great dads and men that need to connect with these kids that are hurting. I think about Mr. Pat, he volunteers upstairs, takes care of my kids every week. He wears silly costumes and outfits and he's fun and kids love him. And I think about Mallory's grandfather who passed away this year. Papa was the, the leader of their family, took me in, was the first person in that family besides Mallory to say that they love me. Was man of the year in Atlanta, Texas. Never met a stranger. And his legacy, I got to preach his funeral in December. Was all the lives he's touched. What are people gonna say about you? Man, they had a nice boat. Man, he made a lot of money. They have a good house. They got to go and travel and do fun stuff. But what are you living for? A hundred years from now, the only thing that will matter is somebody's relationship with God. We're all gonna be gone. But our kids and our grandkids will look back and see, did the trend continue? Did they continue leaving the church in droves? Or were there people that cared about them that made them feel like they were loved? Super Bowl Sunday, we're having a Super Bowl party tonight. It's a great way to come in, but I have this last clip of Tom Brady and I'll be done. This was from 2005, so way back then, he had already won his third Super Bowl. And he goes on 60 Minutes 
and says something that I remember shocking me as a high schooler at the time. And I think would shock a lot of us about where he was at. Watch the video, we'll come back. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's gotta be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it, I'm 27. And what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. As a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, as somebody that's trying to go and live out what he said to do, I feel like I have the answer. Life's not about us. It's not about chasing pleasure and fun and what you think will make you feel better. And there's a lot of lonely people. What do we do about it? Baby step, check out a Super Bowl party tonight. Come meet Amber, she's our life group coordinator. She's great. She will help you to find a life group or start a life group. If you're like, I don't really know if that works on my schedule or I don't know if anybody will do it. Take one hour a month every other week Try to find some spiritual content, have a conversation with your friends. If you have a need, you have a question, text me right now. We got a text number set up. I'll respond to every text message. If you wanna to talk to a pastor, if you need help, if you are watching at home, you're isolated, you don't know what to do, text me. I'd love to talk to you. You wanna know more stuff that's coming up? Download our app. That's also the best way to sign up and volunteer. You can do it on your phone before you leave, at home later, whatever's convenient for you. Our volunteer coordinator is actually my wife. She's pretty great. She'll get you plugged in and find a place to serve because we need you. These kids, the next generation needs you. We all need to be needed by somebody else too. You'll find that when you're giving and serving, you actually start getting what you're looking for. Join our Facebook group. It won't replace real life community, but it's a great way to chat, talk to people during the week, share funny memes and videos. Go online, check out Facebook. You're, on there already, you're already on there anyway. It's probably a good bet. You're spending time. Join the Simple Church Online Facebook group. Very beginning in the book, God said it's not good for man to be alone. We don't want you to be alone. We as a church are so glad you're here. We're so glad you watched. We do this so we can come together to celebrate, to live life, to do good, to do more than we could on our own. And we want you to be a part of that. So take the chance today, put yourself out there, bring a friend to the Super Bowl party. Dallas has a Super Bowl party if you're watching in Dallas. Check out a life group, go to the lobby right now, go find somebody. Because that little bit of courage, that little bit of putting yourself out there might just change your life. And I would love one day for somebody to be standing on a stage like this and talk about you and talk about what a difference you made in their life, how God used you, imperfect, messed up you, to build the church. Let's pray. God, I know that there is somebody listening to this that feels lonely, that feels alone, that doesn't know what to do, God, that feels like even in their room full of a bunch of people or if they're watching at their house, they don't know what to do next. And I'm so thankful, God, that you created us for community to be together. That's a longing in each of our hearts. And if somebody feels like there's nobody that cares, that we, the simple church, would be a place that cares about people. 
God, I pray they would reach out, they'd send a text message, send us a direct message on Facebook or Instagram. God, they would go to the lobby today, they would come to a Super Bowl party, all of this funny and silly stuff that we do with the hope that we would help people to find friends, to find someone that cares. God, that they would try a life group. Maybe some people have been going to Simple Church for a long time, they sit in the room and nobody really knows their name. God, that they would reach out, they would take that step so it would help them and then it would help other people. And I'm so thankful, God, for the legacy of people that poured into my life that's helped me become the person I am today. And I pray, God, that I can be that for others and that we as a church would multiply that by the hundreds and hundreds that go into our communities, that do good, that make a difference in your name. We love you. Amen. Thank you for watching today. Thanks for being here. Before you go, we have a video update from Honduras. Our team down there made it doing good because some of you were able to give, to donate, to do water wells, meeting a practical need in Jesus' name. Check out this video from Justin. We'll be done. What's up, Simple Church? Hey! made it to Honduras. We're getting ready to go to church just like you. So good morning. Thank y'all for helping us to get down here. Thanks for all the prayers. And we're getting ready to drill water wells tomorrow, but today's church. And most importantly, the Bengals Super Bowl appearance. Hey, have a little fun, man. Thank y'all for all the prayers. We'll see you soon. We'll send you some more video as the well begins. All right. I love y'all. Boy, put back there mad. Thank y'all. Thank you who give. Thanks for making it happen. Thanks for helping us do good. Have a great week and let's go Bengals. Peace.